And we can now completely eliminate that myth. Creatine is not an issue for like majority of the population who, who has no issues with their kidneys between one to two grams. And they were still seeing beneficial effects. Do you want to look and feel younger? If you do, I'm looking for a few more people who want to reverse their biological clock. If you're interested, message me on Instagram the word health and I'll send you the details or send me an email to seam at seamland.com. Lucas, welcome back to the show. Seam, what's going on, man? It's going good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we decided to do another podcast together. The first one was about uh, testosterone, of how you raised your testosterone very high naturally. And I think the second one was about nootropics. So both of those are really like amazing information about those uh, topics. But uh, yeah, I guess we decided to do another podcast because there's a lot of these new, let's say, compounds and supplements coming out there that uh, could also have like some, you know, let's say human enhancement effects uh, beyond what we currently uh, know naturally. So um, yeah, like I guess you, we could start with some of the uh, creatine a new form of creatine that actually many people are uh, interested in. So maybe you can uh, discuss about that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thanks again for having me on the show. Sim, it's always, a, it's always a pleasure chatting. I love talking about new and novel ingredients in the supplement space. Uh, but yeah, I'm, obviously we're here, here today to talk about this new form of creatine. I guess we can frame it and give it some context. Um, so as, we, as it stands now, most people would say that creatine monohydrate is the best and most well-studied form of creatine. Um, and that is that is true. Um, creatine monohydrate does appear to have the most amount of research. Um, it's probably one of the best and most highly utilized supplements in the natural muscle growth space. Um, but as I was coming across some newer research on a newer form of creatine known as cregatine, I was interested in learning about its um, mechanism of action and also some of the initial human studies. And what really piqued my interest was the fact that they did a head-to-head -head comparison between creatine monohydrate and cregatine. And this new form was 8.5 times more effective at saturating skeletal muscle cells compared to creatine monohydrate. What mm. most people don't really realize mm. is that creatine monohydrate its bioavailability is actually very poor. Only about 2% can get absorbed into, into skeletal muscle. Um, whereas this new form of creatine, about 16.9% uptake into skeletal muscle tissues, um, which just makes it so much more superior to a supplement that we already know is so good, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like there have been always these different forms of creatine uh, coming out. Uh, over the last new decades but uh creative monohydrate has kind of stood the test of time in that sense that yeah so far i don't i haven't found any like these other forms of creatine being superior or necessary than uh, creative monohydrate um so uh, yeah like what have this has the, like done any studies about this new form or uh, how does it like yeah how does it actually yeah. uh, is, is it actually better <laughs> Yeah, well, this form of creatine is actually creatine monohydrate bound to creatine's precursor, which is GAA. So that's guanadinoacetic acid. And that guanadinoacetic acid or GAA is a natural amino acid 
um, derivative of glycine and L-arginine. So mm. GAA, if you go onto PubMed and look up the studies on GAA, um, you'll see that a lot of the preliminary research was back in the early 1990s um, where they were looking at how GAA can saturate um, into brain tissue and actually increase creatine phosphate levels in the brain much more effectively than creatine monohydrate. Um, so as far as how this particular combination works, well, first of all, the most important point to understand is that this form of creatine has four ways to enter the cell, um, whereas normal creatine monohydrate only has one way to enter the cell, which is the creatine transporter number one, whereas this one has, it can enter the cell through um, taurine receptors, GABA receptors, passive diffusion, and that original creatine transporter one. So that straight away tells us this has better uptake across cellular mem membranes. It can increase um, creatine levels in the brain much more significantly. In fact, they looked at how, how this particular form of creatine can um, increase the creatine content of gray matter in the brain, but 3.9 times more effectively than creatine monohydrate and 1.9 times more effectively um, saturating in the white matter of the brain. Um, so theoretically, and even based off my initial experimentations and, and trials with this form of creatine, um, one thing that I definitely noticed after the first week was a much more significant um, ability to recall my dreams. And I had much more vivid dreams, which is a similar effect that I get from other like acetylcholine-based nootropics. Um, so that was yeah, that the initial um, effect that I noticed. Mm, nice. And like, do you have to take less of it than regular creatine or um, yeah, what's the dosage or uh, how do you take it? Yeah, so the dosage protocol for this form, um, it's about two grams of actual powder. Now, the difference is with regular creatine monohydrate, what a, what a lot of people don't realize is that um, creatine monohydrate is very hygroscopic, which means that it it doesn't actually like um, it doesn't really uh, it can clump and and with you know if air gets into the um, if air gets into the to the powder that's why sometimes they add that like little sachet inside the powder to keep it fresh and um, maintain the powder quality. What most people don't realize is that. Creatine monohydrate can rapidly degrade after it's exposed to like powder and also water. Um, and so this can lead to reduced efficacy of the actual creatine monohydrate. So if some people say that they don't really uh, respond well to creatine monohydrate, they may have, they may just be using a degraded form of um, creatine monohydrate. Whereas this new form of creatine, they've actually They've actually designed it to be administered through um, uh, single-serve sachets. So that preserves the powder quality and ensures um, optimal efficacy. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And like many people may get, or like very few people get like some negative side effects from uh, taking creatine. So like, would you say that, or do you think that this is going to like avoid them or... Yeah, so that's that's the other critical point here is the lack of water retention. 
this was something that they noted in the initial studies was the fact that obviously part of the ergogenic effect of creatine monohydrate is the fact that it can um, hold water and maintain um, high levels of intracellular water retention. But what they did notice with this form was that there was less water retention, um, but they were still able to see increases in strength. And that's possibly also due to its effect on um, increasing mTOR activation and potentially also increasing IGF-1 levels as well. So um, this is a really critical point because a lot of people will say like, oh, they've used creatine monohydrate in the past and they they just don't respond. They say that, you know, they didn't notice any effect. Um, this could be due to like the genetic defect that a, a number of people actually have in that creatine transporter one, which makes it, which would explain why they don't actually respond to creatine monohydrate. They're just like non-responders. So this basically eliminates that. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but would you, in terms of the, the muscle saturation, if the creatine monohydrate has a lower, let's say, absorption rate than this uh, form of creatine, but if you take more creatine monohydrate, would you like uh, compensate for that? So let's say you take five grams of creatine monohydrate, is it the same as taking two grams of uh, this this new form of creatine? Uh, well, if you look at it from a like a dose-to-dose -dose comparison, like milligram for milligram, um, this form would obviously saturate the cells much more efficiently than um, taking bigger doses of creatine monohydrate. The other, I guess, like mini side effect that some people notice from doses above five grams of like creatine monohydrate, I personally never really noticed the side effects when I, when I was using creatine monohydrate. Back in the day, I used to use like 10 to 15 grams per day for like months and I felt great. Um, but I guess like one of the key side effects from super loading creatine monohydrate could potentially be the GI upset, like bloating, um, nausea, gas, potentially diarrhea. Um, but this is obviously overcome with this new form. Hmm. Gotcha. Right. What, what about, uh, does this, like, you know, there's this uh, very uh, common uh, misconception that creatine is going to like cause hair loss or something like that because it increases DHT levels. So, so like, does this also new form of does this also, which isn't like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that creatine causes hair loss, uh, because, uh, yeah, like some people may be more genetically predisposed, but others are not, but with this new form of creatine, like, um, does this also increase DH levels or what do you think about that? It's a, it's a really good question. And I've already, I've already been asked numerous times whether or not this form would also contribute to, um, potentially hair loss. I mean, that study that was done in uh, rugby players, I believe, they did a 25 grams a day of the creatine monohydrate, um, and that was for seven days. And they did notice an increase in DHT levels after seven and 14 days, which was significant. It increased it by 56%. Um, now, that's a pretty big dose of creatine monohydrate. Um, I don't think we would see the same like issue with this lower dose, like it's only two grams. Um, so potentially it's offset. Some people might argue that uh, since it's more bioavailable, it might actually accelerate um, DHT production. Unfortunately, we don't have any human studies yet to assess that. Um, but as far as like the, I guess like 
the leading causes of like hair loss. Um, DHT is considered oftentimes like the number one hormone that contributes to like male pattern hair loss. However, I do think there are many other hormones that can also contribute such as cortisol, adrenaline, issues with prostaglandins, mineral deficiencies, prolactin and, and so on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's very like, yeah, multi, multifaceted in that sense. Uh, but mm -hmm. what like the cost side, so like creative monohydrate is, you know, generally is very cheap, but maybe like over the past two years or something, the prices have increased slightly because of the supply chain issues. But uh, generally, it's, it's one of the cheapest like supplements out there. And there's just, you know, you know hundreds of studies probably about uh, showing that how it and that it works but with this new form like uh, the cost side so like what would the cost be like is it worth it in terms of the cost if we already know that regular creatine has like decades of you know this uh evidence to show that it works and it's very cheap as well um what so first of all like how much does the new cost and second of all is the is the higher cost uh, worth it in terms of uh, comparing it to creatine, the good old creatine monohydrate that we already know uh, works uh, very well. Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I mean, creatine monohydrate, as you said, is super cheap ingredient. I mean, and if it's the Korea pure form, which is I think the German grade quality, um, it's still really cheap. Um, so gram for gram, obviously, this new form is significantly higher priced. Um, and the price point, I think it's about 70, uh, it's like 50 euro uh, for a pack of, I think it's 30. I haven't actually double checked the price there. Um, but as far as like the efficacy, I mean, if I were to look at it like this, let's say somebody has, um, they, they, they used creatine monohydrate in the past and they never noticed any benefit or they just could not see any benefit, whether that be, um, memory performance, um, a nootropic effect, or um, strength in the gym, then I think it may be worthwhile trying this new form if that person has that genetic um, defect in that creatine transporter one. So maybe they're just a small percentage of the population that um, they just simply cannot absorb and utilize creatine monohydrate. And then maybe if they try this new form, they see all the benefits that are that were initially ascribed to or assigned to like creatine monohydrate. Mm, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, people have to uh, see and base it. And, and, and yeah, I would definitely would like to see more research about it in uh, the future that, uh, yeah, like more studies and uh, comparing it maybe like, yeah, to like yeah like these control uh, group studies where the one group is on regular monohydrate and the other one is on this new form so yeah let's see <laughs> how it turns out yeah there is I'm, I'm really excited the um the results aren't out publicly yet but i know that right now they're actually conducting a study in basketball players um mm. so that's obviously again a human study uh, i believe it's conducted in serbia there's some i think the top 10 uh, the top 10 researchers on creatine, um, the professor is actually based in Serbia and he's the guy that's looking at all the research around creatine. Um, and I believe that that clinical trial on basketball players um, will probably look for parameters such as um, strength, recovery, maybe like, I don't know, vertical jump height. I, I, I'm just speculating. I don't know 
if this is what's going to happen. Um, but I know actually a lot of the other human studies that they've done on this form of creatine um, were actually centered around its nootropic effects. Um, they're really driving home. They're really interested in seeing how, um, how this form of creatine can um, improve parameters of cognition. Because again, like if you simply go on like PubMed now, look up creatine brain, like assign those two keywords, you'll see, you know, tons of studies demonstrating the beneficial effects of higher levels of creatine in the brain um, and its association with better cognitive function. Mm. Gotcha. Nice. Um, yeah, many people don't actually know, yeah, that the creatine is very powerful as a nootropic as well. Or, I mean, it's not like a nootropic uh, directly, but it just improves brain function and uh, brain longevity in many ways as well. Yeah, I think, I think creatine is just one of those ingredients. Um, if I was actually just, as I was like, I've been hired to formulate supplements and I had people ask me about like, what are some good fillers to use in a capsule? And I, I consistently was saying, use creatine monohydrate because it's like a functional filler. It's actually an active ingredient, but it's like, it will just bulk up the, the um, capsule. But I guess like in saying that, you know, this creatine could be added to many other mitochondrial stacks as well. So like some of our favorite ingredients like PQQ, um, coenzyme Q10, acetyl-L-carnitine, um, methylene blue. I mean, I can see cregatine adding some extra oomph and like extra bang to to those mitochondrial stacks. Mm, gotcha. Nice. Uh, are you planning on uh, starting to use this creatine like more consistently? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually in the process of um, developing a, a video like for YouTube to go through my full like 30 days um, experimentation. Um, I did do a two-week cycle when I got back from Europe back in September last year. Um, then I got distracted by so many other just different molecules and experiments and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing like a more robust study, N equals one, not the best form mm. of research, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing longer stints of creatine. Nice. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe we can also cover about just general, yeah, like the regular creatine, uh, creatine monohydrate in terms of, you know, how do people use it and uh, why would they want to use it in the first place? Because, yeah, like even if they don't take the creatine, then the regular creatine itself is already worth taking, uh, I think, almost pretty much like 95 or 99 percent of people. Um, and uh, yeah, because it's like not only like a muscle building and muscle strength supplement, but also just helps with you know cognition, uh, longevity and uh, yeah, methylation and things like that. So, yeah, maybe you can do like a short overview about, yeah, just overall creatine, like why? and um, you know how how much etc yeah so um originally when they were looking at the research on who can benefit from creatine um, majority of the studies were looking at vegans and vegetarians obviously because they're not eating meat and we need the amino acids um i think it's i think it's arginine and lysine i'm not sure exactly what makes up creatine i should know this off the top of my off the top of my head, but there's a combination of amino acids that actually form um, creatine and vegans and vegetarians are obviously susceptible to low levels of creatine and probably explains why they have a lower IQ, um, <laughs> if, you know, on the vegan diet. Um, but I guess as far as the um, applications, so as you said before, I mean, 
neuroprotective, um, facilitating better memory performance, um, supporting overall recovery following um, oxidative stress. So um, as you said, as, as well, assisting with um, various, actual, actually also supporting other organs as well. Um, a lot of people were fearful about the effects of creatine on uh, kidney health. Um, we can now completely eliminate that myth. Creatine is not an issue for not like majority of the population who, who has no issues with their kidneys. If somebody has like predisposition to like um, kidney disease or maybe they have um, uh, kidney issues currently, then yes, maybe be careful with creatine monohydrate. But originally, like the dosage protocols, like there were some studies where they were using creatine monohydrate between one to two grams per day, and they were still seeing beneficial effects. Um, but like the typical like athlete or bodybuilder, I mean, they, you know, were use, originally were using doses between 5, 10, 15, 20 grams per day, um, which you'd have to eat so much meat to yeah. achieve. I don't know. It's ridiculous. What what a form of like yeah, there has to be like a one kilogram, I think at least. Uh, but uh, like, what's the absorption of the creatine from the meat? Like, it's not probably like you know significantly higher than the uh, supplement or. Well, it's a that's also a really good question. It's like whether or not the other amino acids maybe enhance the ability for the body to um, transform the amino acids into creatine from food. Um, whether or not it's better from food, I'm actually not not entirely sure. What I do know though is, um, I mean, there's hidden peptides in organ meats that we're only just now starting to uncover, like in um, in liver, in kidney, eating liver, eating kidneys, um, eating testicles. Um, there's there's new peptides and new molecules that we're just discovering from these organ meats. So it wouldn't surprise me if some of them have some sort of affinity to assist with creatine uptake or um, formation or creatine utilization, or maybe they even um, enhance the way in which creatine is transported across the body. Um, but I guess like overall, I mean, those that eat a carnivore diet were, were I guess would be pretty likely to get sufficient amounts of creatine um, I mean, they're eating quite high amounts of red meat, you know, chicken, fish. So they'd be getting yeah. a decent amount of. Yeah, and interesting, like the the highest source of creatine that I've actually seen isn't uh, beef; uh, it's actually herring. So the fish actually has like uh, a bit, not a lot, not a lot more, but like significantly more. I think uh, more creatine than uh, beef. So <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's another really crucial point um and obviously like the formation of creatine through like nuts and seeds and the vegan the vegetarian sources like legumes and chickpeas um it's it's very poor like it's very difficult for the body to actually create um you know creatine from those sources mm, yeah uh, does your body like recycle any creatine or does it make it endogenously at all yeah, so I mean, creatine formation. Um, I think it's actually, I think it's synthesized from. Oh, it's like I know glycine, arginine is considered, you know, a um, 
arginine. I'm pretty sure it's methionine. It's a mixture of oh, arginine, glycine, and methionine. Yeah, sorry. So creatine's formed in the body through um, a, you know chemical reactions involving uh, arginine, glycine, and methionine. So methionine is obviously only, like primarily only in uh, animal-based foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, it's going to be higher in higher amounts when you on a carnivore based diet. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, yeah, like most of the other amino acids, except glycine, like glycine actually, I mean, there is, yeah, like, uh, yeah, animal foods are higher in glycine as well, <laughs> for sure. But uh, the kind of ratio of methionine to glycine is higher in uh, plants than, uh, than animal foods. But uh, animal foods have like higher in total both of these uh, amino acids yeah yeah and uh yeah, makes sense. and like the uh supplementation like if you take creatine monohydrate or something like what's the like protocol for that like you know in the past it was all about like loading this uh, creatine taking like 20 or 30 grams a day for a week or something and then tapering off but uh i mean nowadays most people talk about just taking uh, creatine uh, every day irregularly, like three to five grams. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually all for the basic protocol of three to five grams um, daily without a particular um, loading phase. I think that loading phase where they use like 15 to 20 grams for like the first two weeks and then back down to like five grams. I think it's I think it's a little bit excessive. And, I, and also for those that are, that have that defect and they can't actually utilize the creatine because that transporter is saturated. I think they're actually missing. I think they're actually like wasting the creatine when they're doing it in that way. Um, so I think like three to five grams realistically for like somebody who, you know, maybe trains every day um, is interested in just general health and fitness goes to the gym. I mean, I can see just three to five grams of creatine monohydrate working really well. Um, it would be interesting to see what happens if um, an individual combines creatine monohydrate with this new form, um, whether or not that has another, I don't think it, I don't think it has a further synergistic effect, but it'd be interesting to see if it would. Hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Um, yeah. And do you have to like come off at some point or, because I, I think like if you stop taking it, then you kind of lose the saturation slightly, right? Yeah, so I think the, the the studies that they did on this form of creatine, they were looking at um, like the duration, so the cycle duration, how long they should be on the product or on the actual, this creatine. Um, and I think they what they suggested was a six to eight weeks of continuous usage. Um, and then they could stop supplementation and still creatine levels would be higher than pre-administration of, of creatine. So um, I personally, with mo- pretty much all supplements, apart from taurine at the moment and a few other, and also artichoke extract, like I cycle pretty much all supplements regardless. I think that's a really important principle for um, like in general, for general like um, body adaptation and metabolism and letting the body sort of recover and recuperate. There are exceptions, obviously, like glycine can be taken daily for years and probably without any side effects. Same with like taurine. Um, but I do think 
even with something like this, I would still recommend cycling it. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And how, how do you do it yourself? Like, is there, is there any like principles you follow? Yeah. Usually like a eight weeks on two weeks off. So about, yeah, 14 days usually is a decent cycle off time. There are some molecules that I've used in the past, some, some other nootropics that have like super long half-lives. In fact, there's another, maybe we can dedicate another podcast to this other molecule called ITPP. It's like a, a, a version of uh, inositol, which it's like once a week dosing. Like mm. apparently that, I haven't actually tried that yet because it's apparently it's, a, it's really difficult to actually source. Um, but that one there in the rat studies was so effective at increasing endurance capacity um, by interacting with hemoglobin synthesis or something like that. But um, yeah, that's that's on the list of things to try eventually. Mm, nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, inositol is also like a very nice, um, I mean, you know, it's one of the, another one of those top tier supplements that I take very often, like in the similar camp as like glycine or creatine and uh, taurine and stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, many, most people actually haven't heard about inositol at all. And it's pretty good for, you know, insulin regulation, uh, brain function, exercise performance, and uh, yeah, many other things. Have, have you like experimented more with inositol or? Um, so yeah, I've, I've used, I've used, um, myo inositol quite, um, regularly in the past. That's, I find it's really good for like relaxation and, and enhancing magnesium activity and action. Um, but I, I just reminded myself this, this version of, uh, inositol, the ITPP, it's myo inositol trispyrophosphate. And I remember the, the study that I'm actually quoting was that, um, this ITPP increases maximal exercise capacity in a dose-related manner with a maximum increase of 57%. Um, and if you look at like some of the, I guess, like the bodybuilding forums where all of these, you know, rat studies translate eventually into like N, N equals one experimentation, um, there's a number of like athletes that have used ITPP and a lot of people are reporting massive increases in in um in endurance and i was looking up the actual like mechanism of action and i remembered i remember reading something where they sort of explained how um itpp actually improves oxygen release like oxygen release capacity of red blood cells um so significantly affecting like hemoglobin activity um but i think it's it's a I think it's a pretty high risk compound. It's definitely nowhere near as safe as um, cregatine or or the form that you're talking about, myo-inositol. Mm. Um, but it's definitely one to consider in the future. Nice. <laughs> yeah, definitely would be interesting to try as well. Um, but yeah, for anyone else listening, then just that regular myo-inositol can also be very good for, I mean, yeah, it's virtually almost everything. <laughs> like it improves uh, okay. sleep, improves uh, brain function, insulin sensitivity, uh, neurotransmitters, exercise performance, and uh, yeah, also tastes a little bit sweet, so you can add it again to like coffee or something if you <laughs> if you get uh, bored of the taste of glycine in your coffee. <laughs> yeah, um, taurine doesn't have a. I wish taurine had a a better taste profile. It's got more of a like a it's mm. neutral, but yeah, glycine is 
by far the tastiest amino acid. Mm, yeah, that's that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, both of these uh, would be good for like exercise and like yeah, exercise performance as a pre-workout. So what else? Are there like any other you know uh, compounds or what would be like your some sort of uh, god tier <laughs> this uh, kind of uh, pre-workout supplement that you would if you had to formulate one. Yeah, so the other ingredient that I'm really excited about um, is called phenylparacetam. Um, many people probably know about the racetams or the racetams as a as like the original nootropics. You have paracetam, oxyracetam, aniracetam, uh, phasoracetam, pramiracetam. There's many different racetams, but the one that supersedes all of them in terms of potency for physical energy and general um, athletic performance and its ability to maintain high levels of performance um, at during a hypoxic state or in, in hypoxia where, where is a low oxygen supply such as like altitude training. Um, phenylparacetam is the one that really shines in that realm. In fact, it's so powerful now that it's actually been you know banned by water. Um, due to its performance-enhancing effects. Um, but it's simply, it, it's pretty easy to acquire. Um, it's, you know, you can use it for like personal use. Um, and we're looking at a dosage of around, what I've found to work really well is anywhere from 50 to 100 milligrams of phenylparacetam. Um, and because I already consume, well, at the moment, I'm consuming like four eggs a day minimum, including the yolks. Um, there's no need to combine it with a choline source, whereas all the other, a lot of the other racetams, like you need to increase your choline intake because apparently, well, one of the one of the reasons, or one of the ways in which these racetams work is they can actually increase the utilization and, and um, increase the demand for choline in the body. Um, so phenylparacetam is definitely a really exciting molecule for uh, sports performance. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never used that kind of thing. I think it's also used like some by some like I don't know entrepreneurs or like productivity hackers, coders or something like to stay focused or something. <laughs> I've heard. Yeah, they. I mean, I I would almost consider phenylparacetam up there with like I wouldn't say it's like exactly like like Ritalin or Adderall or Modafinil, but I'd consider it like a almost like an adaptogenic smart drug. Um, because of its ability to like, it's non-depleting um, and it's highly neuroprotective at the same time. Whereas, you know, things like Adderall or Ritalin or other, other smart drugs that are very exhaustive, depleting, uh, they can be neurotoxic because the way in which they act to facilitate um, dopamine release and um, they can also affect glutamate, they can actually become neurotoxic and they can lead to feeling very depleted the day after whereas um this form like this phenylparacetam um it doesn't really have much of that like it doesn't really have a severe crash effect um although it will if you push yourself pretty hard in the gym like i remember playing around with phenylparacetam before i was doing the ergo the rowing the rowing machine ergo rower um i was doing some pretty intense workouts on that i was doing like one minute splits 
as hard and as fast as I could. And I was, I think I was maintaining, uh, it was one minute 30, one minute 30 per 500 meters. What was my average pace, mm. which is, I think it's pretty, pretty quick. Um, but yeah, when I was on phenylparacetam, like I felt, I definitely felt stimulation just like I would with like caffeine or a big dose of dark chocolate. Um, I got mm. that same sort of anti effect. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it like, are there like any, let's say, dangerous side effects or does it apply to only this Ritalin and those things? Um, I guess one thing to note about phenylparacetam in terms of like a cycling protocol, it will like anything that's going to accelerate your um, thought processes or um, increase, have a hyper locomotive effect. Um, it can be slightly habit forming. Um, so just like caffeine is very, caffeine is definitely addictive. Um, I think phenylparacetam can potentially be somewhat addictive if, 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 um, if not used strategically. I think it's a molecule that I would save for like um, leg day. You know, if, you, if you're having, if you've got a massive workout ahead or if perhaps you're trying to like, you know, break a PB, a personal best, or maybe you're going for like most number of chin-ups in one session and you're trying to hit like, I don't know, 75 chin-ups in one session, um, then I think phenylparacetam can help in those occasions. Mm. Nice. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess like regular caffeine is something that is also like similar to creatine that it, we know it works and it's very powerful, uh, but it also is something that you know, it's very easy to overdo and it has like a lot of negative side effects from that. Like not to, you know, first of all, yeah, like you don't, you, you may have like this, you know, sleeping problems and stuff, but you also can get like too anxious and jittery and stuff. So like these regular pre, mo most of the pre-workouts out there are just, you know, full of a lot of caffeine, <laughs> which I think it's, that makes them actually worse. Like too much caffeine actually makes the pre-workout uh, worse. And it's very like, individual based of how much can caffeine a person can tolerate and uh, it's very easy to go over the top and start to get all the negative side effects from there so like most of the pre-workouts out there i would much rather have like a non-caffeine uh, pre-workout any day of the week than a caffeine caffeinated one and like drink regular coffee if i need to have a caffeine i i i would say i'm pretty much the exact same as you like um i prefer not to use caffeine unless i'm doing like the time in which i'd utilize caffeine would be if i'm trying to like break a, a personal best for like a three kilometer or five kilometer run without a doubt for me i know caffeine will extend my endurance capacity um maintain lactate like maintain exercise intensity at lactate threshold which is i think 85 percent of your max heart rate um but i also know that i'm a very slow metabolizer of caffeine um, whether that's a blessing or a curse, it's <laughs> up to some people to decide, but, um, well, that sort of, that sort of brings me on to my, my next point around other ingredients, like for pre-workout performance, um, is actually caffeine's metabolite. And I think you may have had Sean Wells on the podcast before talking about, um, his new ingredient, parazanthine. Hmm. Um, uh, I think. Well, I've had him on, on my podcast, yeah. I don't know if he mentioned it on that podcast, but I've uh, heard him talk about it uh, outside of the podcast as well, for sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, this is this is uh, another really exciting ingredient, and I think it's going to be just like this new form of creatine. I think this uh, this stimulant, which is a caffeine metabolite, I really do think this will be top five ingredients of 2023 in all pre-workouts. Um, the reason being is so caffeine has three major metabolites. The primary metabolite. Um, is paraxanthine. Second to that is theobromine. And then third is theophylline. Now, mm. theobromine, again, you probably, I don't know if you've ever used it um, by itself. Have you ever tried theobromine? Uh, not alone as a supplement, but uh, from chocolate or, or, or cacao, yes. Yeah, like a big, if you want to get it, if, if, if the audience listening in wants to get a feel for what theobromine feels like, like take a big, have, a, have like 99% dark chocolate, um, mm. have like, I don't know, like half a block. And majority of those effects will probably come from the theobromine. It's very stimulating. Um, it can increase heart rate and it can increase a little bit of anxiety, but it's really great for mood, uplifting mood and increasing arousal. Um, but the primary metabolite is paraxanthine. And what what the authors are describing this molecule as is it's responsible for all of the effects that we love about caffeine without the drawbacks. So no jitters, no anxiety, no, no digestive issues. Um, it's like all of the desirable effects that we associate with caffeine could potentially be coming from the body's metabolism, its metabolite, um, paraxanthine. Um, so paraxanthin is definitely, you know, a really interesting molecule as far as its ability to improve mood, motivation, um, and it's going to be actually a very popular ingredient in the uh, esports gaming market um, for reaction time and just staying focused whilst playing video games. Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so. Um... It can have like cognitive or this nootropic, not nootropic, but like you can use it for focus as well then. Yeah. So, I mean, if we look at like the actual mechanism of action, um, the good news is uh, its half-life is about three, three hours compared to caffeine, which is about four to six. Um, and as far as the toxicity goes, um, it actually displays lower toxicity than caffeine um, and it has lower anxiety-inducing effects than caffeine. Um, so it's unlikely to cause tachycardia, which is an accelerated heart rate or arrhythmia. Um, and as far as its like general safety profile goes, it's definitely a lot better than um, caffeine. And also it's like dopaminergic effect and adenosine action is also superior to uh, regular caffeine. So as far as like the major applications and benefits, I would assume increasing general energy, athletic performance, aerobic performance, muscle strength, power, endurance. And the other cr critical point is the ability for it to reduce pain perception. Mm. Um, that's one of the ways in which, you know, caffeine's great to blunt pain. Um, so that that would make this uh, you know quite unique. Mm, yeah, true. Um, what about something for uh, 
improving vasodilation and uh, blood flow? Would you include anything like that in there? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a range of options really from the nitric oxide department. I mean, there's so many great molecules out there now. Like we got um, agmatine, which is a arginine metabolite that that can be quite good. Citrulline malate is much more superior than arginine. Um, so looking at about, I think you need at least five grams of citrulline malate um, of a two to one ratio. And then there's also another ingredient that's um, it's called Vaso 6. It's like a, a patented version of um, green tea extract that mm. massively improved increased vasodilation way more than arginine as well. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, citrulline is kind of the goal, gold standard, I think, in the supplement uh, for the blood flow. Um, yeah, this is like a bit of a side step, but I made like a video last week about like how Viagra is associated with lower uh, cardiovascular disease mortality. Uh, also like the men who have like erectile dysfunction and heart disease, if they use Viagra, then they have a lower mortality risk. And, you know, part of it has to do with the nitric oxide and uh, the blood flow. And actually like some, I've at least heard that some bodybuilders also use like sometimes Viagra as a pre-workout <laughs> blood flow agent. I haven't used it myself but uh yeah like some i've heard like some bodybuilders actually use it <laughs> well it's a it's an interesting point i mean obviously um if you look at the discovery of viagra like the i don't know if you covered that in the video the, the history discovery of it no, um initially i think it was they initially were looking at it for its effects on blood pressure um so the you know originally believe it was going to be good for blood pressure and 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 angina, which is like which is mm. chest pain, um, and you know it it had that side effect of increasing erection quality, um, which just completely makes sense acting as a PDE five uh, inhibitor, so increasing nitric oxide production in the um, penile tissues, but also there was a pretty interesting study on, I'm pretty sure it was around. Um, yeah, there was a study back in 2013 where Viagra increases muscle protein synthesis um, and also, oh. yeah, reduces muscle fatigue as well. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, does it have like any, I don't, I don't think it probably doesn't have like any uh, testosterone effect or anything of like that, right? Um, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a study where they looked at how well, the, the actual chemical name for Viagra is sildenafil. Um, and it actually did have an effect on testosterone. It increases, it actually increases um, serum testosterone, which is, again, pretty surprising. Mm. You wouldn't think, I mean, yeah, it's not just working on blood flow. It actually increases testosterone levels and also... Um, Affecting androstenedione and also estrogen as well. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> What's the like the mecha and the mechanism is the PDE five inhibition then? Um, I think so. I think the. I mean, I'm just trying to refresh my memory. I think they did. Um, it could be by acting on the Leydig cells, so affecting um, CGMP accumulation. Uh, maybe affecting circulation towards the 
the Leydig cells, probably one of the other reasons why um, icing the balls, like which I've spoken about before on your channel, mm-hmm. um, yeah, icing the balls, you know, it's increasing circuit. Obviously, acutely, it's going to block and reduce circulation to the testes. But then, upon removal of the ice pack, you're going to get that rebound, you know, vasodilation and bring a new blood flow and assisting with Leydig cell function. Hmm, nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's a multi multi like yeah, you can use it for many things, I guess. Um yeah. Anything uh else or like what about some electrolytes or anything you would add to your pre-workout or how does what what's your opinion on those? Yeah, so I'd say the um as far as electrolytes go, um for me, I'm really convinced that sodium is the most important electrolyte around pre-workouts or around a, around a workout. Um, obviously potassium, you know, can play a role, but I, I do think sodium, um, sufficient amounts of sodium can facilitate uh, massive increases in strength, um, delay fatigue, um, deep drop, reduce adrenaline rises. Um, I think sodium is, you know, a really crucial ingredient Um Sometimes what I do pre-workout as far as like getting sufficient amounts of sodium, like I'll just have like a quarter of a teaspoon or half a teaspoon of like Himalayan salt or sea salt. Um, And that always has like a nice synergistic effect. Um, You can even add in like maybe some bicarbonate soda, um, which again, it's a very old school ingredient, but it does also have some um, lactic acid buffering effect like better alanine. Mm, Nice. Yeah, I mean, even regular salt is uh, almost good enough for you for for the like the electrolyte side because you like you know lose the most sodium during exercise compared to other electrolytes, and um, you know, like pretty much need sodium the most as well for the muscle contractions uh, than others. Uh, but yeah, I mean, maybe like a little bit of potassium, or I wouldn't maybe I think you would need magnesium in there but uh yeah like salt is definitely like the number one thing that you want and uh, need in there and yeah, yeah and, and uh like yeah like actually what i've covered in one of my books uh win with dr james is also that there's like this study showing how preloading with salt and water like in- is increases like the performance by up to like i don't know 50 percent or something um and it's almost like a, a li- those specifics so like if you take a thousand milligrams of sol- sodium, then you get yeah like a small boost. But if you take like three thousand or something, then it's uh, even greater. So there's a lot of like these benefits to preloading with sodium, which mostly have to do with like uh, you know lowering body temperature and increasing blood volume and uh, yeah affecting like the muscle contraction and those kind of things. Hundred percent. I mean, um, James did a fantastic job in his I think it was his first book on sodium. That's the salt fix. Mm. explaining the ergogenic effects of, of salt. Um, and you're right. I think even, even if you did use just regular like table salt, you'd still get an ergogenic effect. It's not, it's not the, it's not the fact that the Celtic sea salt or the Himalayan salt has all these other minerals. I do think you can still get a massive ergogenic effect from table salt, even though it's not the, not the best salt to consume. Mm. Um, and mm. like you said, the dose dependent effect the fact that um, more elicited even better effects, um, it's really, really good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So like for, for me, I would also, if I, if I were to take it like a Capri Verka supplement, I would also maybe add some like, maybe even like L-theanine could actually probably have some benefits there, especially if you have like a caffeinated uh, pre-workout, then uh, like L-theanine is a good one to like, you know, calm down or like balance that uh, stimulation slightly. Uh, and uh, like, I mean, I take L-theanine as well regularly, if I'm not working out as a, like an autropic and it kind of helps to kind of maintain this, uh, I don't know, focus or, you know, steadiness or like smoothness <laughs> throughout the workout. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned L-theanine. I mean, L-theanine has again stood the test of time as far as like amazing effects for cognition, nootropic buffering the anxiety effects of caffeine, um, there is a, I feel like I'm just always on the hunt for new things, but there is a new theanine derivative that I'm, I've been looking into recently um, that I think also may be able to um, potentially replace L-theanine. I don't know. This, there isn't much research on this new molecule, um, but yeah, I mean, we know theanine's great, um, but let's see what else is out there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, what's the, what? Anything else that uh, we want to talk about, or do you want to add anything else to the uh, to the list? No, I think we've um, I think we've covered a ton of really good compounds, and um, yeah, I'm just I'm always I'm always on the hunt for new new molecules, um, and yeah, love to love to share them on different platforms. So thanks thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see where where the new research you know, the new research on this new creatine, the creatine. Um, hopefully, I don't know when this will be released, but we'll hopefully can add the studies to this video. Mm. Um, but yeah, otherwise it was awesome, awesome chatting, Sim. Yeah. Well, actually, the one thing that I want to, that I wanted to ask was like, uh, you mentioned the WADA ban on this uh, compound. And uh, I was just asking like, what do you think about the turkesterone? So that's, uh, like recently has become very popular in terms of helping with muscle strength and muscle mass. Um, there's like conflicting studies about it, uh, but it's not a WADA band. So it's, I think it's still approved or it's allowed by WADA. So uh, what do you think about uh, turkesterone? Yeah, I mean, uh, geez, I don't think, I don't think turkesterone will ever get banned by WADA. I really hope it doesn't get banned. Um, turkesterone is an interesting compound i mean it's working through that estrogen receptor beta to stimulate um igf1 secretion and and also assist with muscle protein synthesis uh you have to use pretty high doses of turkesterone to get uh that increase in muscle denseness and um increasing nitrogen retention it also increases appetite i've used uh, i've used something similar to what was it um ectisterone ectisterone yeah i've used that as well yeah yeah, and also epicatechin, which is also from dark chocolate. Um, that's also, it suppresses folistatin, I think it is. But yeah, um, yeah, you need to increase your food. In, I mean, that's what I noticed. It increased my appetite. Um, so I had to, I definitely had to eat more. I've actually noticed the appetite stimulation effect from many testosterone boosters from Fedosia agrestis. I've noticed it from, Anacyclus pyrethrum, which is another herbal testosterone booster. And I've also had clients 
mentioned that um, some of the things that I prescribed to specifically increase testosterone, they noticed like they had to increase their appetite. Oh, sorry, increase their food intake due to the increase in appetite. Mm, nice. Yeah, I've actually used some testosterone. And I, I mean, I personally do notice some like a, a bit more strength. Maybe it's placebo, but uh, yeah, I do notice like if I'm taking it, then I'm like maybe 5% or 10, 7% maximum stronger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, yeah, we could probably formulate an amazing cocktail of uh, natural muscle building compounds. I mean, Turkestrone would be in the the other the other compound would be lemon myrtle. This is a oh can't remember the active uh cassiorinin. There's a active constituent found in lemon myrtle extract. I did a YouTube video on this, and the compound's called cassiorinin, and that in vivo stimulated muscle protein synthesis. Um, and I think that might actually potentially be stronger than um turkesterone so um mm, yeah if people want to check that out they can just check my youtube videos mm. and uh, is the lemon myrtle like more easily accessible than turkesterone yeah i mean it's pretty easy to source i think it's actually i think it's native to australia so mm, interesting the, the aussie the aussie anabolics <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean looking at Looking at the spiders and the snakes there, then <laughs> no wonder, like maybe one of the spider venoms has some <laughs> secret <Yeah>. uh, anabolic effect. <laughs> well, actually, I actually have an up uh, an upcoming video on spider venom for erections. So there's actually okay. <laughs> there is actually <laughs> nice. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's great. Uh, we can definitely do like for sure like another episode in the future about this like muscle building uh, compounds natural or uh, yeah whatever else <laughs> there's so many things to talk about oh as always yeah i mean i'm always keeping a lookout for new molecules and um yeah it's always fun chatting so i um appreciate you having me on on your show yeah my pleasure and uh i'll see you oh yeah sorry where can people find your channel and your work um, so they can search uh, boost your biology on YouTube. You can just tag it in the the video title. Um, yeah, so check check out my YouTube channel, Boost Your Biology. Um, go over there, subscribe, and yeah, there's heaps of really good content um, similar to this. So yeah, they can find me there. Awesome. Well, yeah, put it in the uh, description and the title. And uh, yeah, it was great talking with you. And I'll see you around. Sounds good, Sim. Thanks, man.
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to support this podcast, then check out our sponsors and leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.